Hey y'all, and welcome to Ain't No Such Thing, where we tell original Southern horror stories. My name is Amanda, and have I got a story for you. The Flood Moving was just the worst, and moving twice in six months, that was plain torture. Melody Landover squatted in her newest room amongst cardboard skyscrapers not open since she, her parents, and her big brother Mike forfeited their country home outside Falls City, Alabama that summer of 1961. The power company planned to flood half the county, and all the people there had to go. Daddy was a chicken seller for Pilgrim's Pride over in Cullman, but he took Alabama Power's payoff and dropped anchor 45 minutes west in the middle of nowhere Double Springs to be far from that pit of sin that is Birmingham. In Melody's lap was a dusty Easter hat box salvaged from her mother's trash some spring past. One tooth-chipped thumbnail dug at its pink lid and pried it up with a little pop. She glanced side-eyed at the door, just in case, before removing the top. Inside lay Daddy's kerchief, which she cried into at Meemaw's funeral. All brown and emerald paisley coiled around each other along drafts of old spice. A pinch at the silky rag lifted it away from a purple mortarboard and golden tassel. Mama's graduation cap. Winston County High School, class of 1941. Melody was just two years from depositing her own cap into this fragrant old-time capsule, and she couldn't wait. Down beneath was a crumpled assortment of letters from Spanish pen pals, wish-you-were-heres from well-traveled cousins, and postcards from her Fall City youth group from their trip to the Holy Land. Of course, she had the mumps. Sacred as they were, all those assembled treasures merely hid a forbidden relic of value greater than their sum. Delicately sleeved in assorted onion-skin papers in the basement of that hat box was a long-play vinyl record glistening black and intricately grooved. The center label was peeled away to disguise its messages and the name of the voice that sang them. But Melody heard the stylings of Elvis Aaron Presley in her head, even as she plied apart the album's bedsheets to take it in. This was the soundtrack to King Creole, her second copy of the King's 1958 masterpiece. Daddy had melted the first in the fireplace after he found her singing along to Trouble on his turntable, the one reserved only for gospel hymns, and even then, only on Sunday morning before services. Daddy and the entirety of the Fall City Pentecostal Assembly warred against the evils of rock and roll from its inception, and Elvis, he was the head of the beast. His bluesy crooning, Well, I'm evil so don't you mess around with me. Didn't soften their stance. In fact, hearing those lyrics fly from Melody's own mouth drove Daddy to seek counsel for her from their preacher brother, Teddy. She walked there from school on Tuesdays and Thursdays for six whole months, enduring every contortion of scripture to somehow prove music not printed in hymnals was a fabrication of the morning star himself. Rock and roll, the eighth deadly sin. But more than that, Brother Teddy pushed her to reject all worldly things and seek salvation in the name of Jesus, whatever that gobbledygook meant. He wanted her to be baptized once she purified her life of all things fun, music, television, boys. Raised Christian, 
Melody was not impervious to his guilt-laced tactics, despite the inane logic of them all. She cried herself to sleep many a night after those sessions, mortally afraid that these simple pleasures in a world of endless wars would surely earn her a permanent spot in the fires of hell. Though not completely unlike the delusional, she now knew, ill-intended, musical notions of Brother Teddy, she subverted logic to believe an all-seeing God might somehow be blind to a second King Creole record, perhaps shielded from divine view by the loves and losses emanating from its fellow inhabitants in the hatbox. Melody mock-traced the leader space for track four on the album, silently mouthing trouble to herself. I'm only made out of flesh, blood, and bone. She didn't have long before Mama called her down for church and the latest congregation of awkward introductions and bless your hearts that she'd endured for the sake of Christian inclusion since the Fall City kidnappings had sent Brother Teddy to prison. Her vinyl secret fell silently back into its bed at the bottom of her memories, and she slipped the whole kit and caboodle into the deepest, darkest place under her latest bed. The back seat of Daddy's Chrysler was extra lonely on church nights that Mike played sick. On Wednesdays, WIXIAM, out of Coleman, played an hour of gospel music from 6 to 7 p.m. Everyone made their way to services, and Daddy commanded utter respectful silence during the Blackwood Brothers' rendition of That's What Heaven Will Be, and his favorite, the Davis Sisters' Reign in Jerusalem. Any words from Melody were allowed during the two-minute commercial windows before the inevitable cutting shh. Although, on that night, the opening chords of a Statler Brothers standard sent his hand frantically for the knob, nudging the radio off with a reflexive wrist flick. He hated the Statler Brothers something fierce. The ensuing silence birthed awkward topics. Daddy's head turned a quarter rotation toward Mama. Don't you think it was time Melody was baptized? This again. Mama wrinkled her lip and glanced back at Melody's widening eyes. Parker. The kidnappings were just last year. She's not ready. It can wait until whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. He cut her off. Mark 16, 16. Still think it's something that can wait? Mama didn't back down and bless her for it. Don't you understand her fears? Brother Teddy took her friends in the night, drugged them, and baptized them against their will. If he wasn't caught, she might have been next on his list. Daddy braked to an abrupt stop, then threw his arm over the bench seat and twisted to stare Melody down. I understand she needs to fear the Lord more than a servant gone astray. Follow the word of God and be free of fear. 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love cast out all fear. He started the car moving again and flipped his gaze back to the road, bypassing Mama's incredulous furrows. Besides, he continued, Brother Teddy is locked away for 15 years, and the church where he took those kids, it'll be gone tomorrow when the power company floods the old town for the hydroelectric plant. We should go watch and get some closure. I'll take the day. So, in other words, Melody enjoyed a respite from baptism equal to the time it took for the new lake to submerge the scene of the crimes, but the sanctified dunking would follow soon after regardless of her voice in the matter. She wondered at the callous ignorance of it all right up to the driveway of the new church. As gentlemen do, 
Daddy dropped her and Mama off at the foyer to the church sanctuary and parked the car. What followed was the same exact sequence of fake smiles and absent nodding acknowledgments programmed to occur twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday for every week of Melody's life. The same three hairstyles over the same pallid faces spewing the same sad dogma. But Melody played her part. Keep your chin up. Keep your eyes forward. Keep quiet. The familiar warble of How Great Thou Art from the organist's fingertips informed the assembled collective unconscious that it was time to take seats, and Daddy walked in. Either a half inning of the evening's Yankee game, or a quarter cigarette filled the interim between parking space and grand entrance, no doubt. He deftly dropped in beside Mama in their freshly staked protectorate, six pews back, on the left edge of the right row. It was just polite to let the established squatters take their places first, and Mama did just that before making a claim. Without cue, the well-trained mass spontaneously, obediently, broke into harmonized lyrics of the song. That haunting phenomenon of disparate tones and vocal acumen inflated the church walls and the mass hallucinations within them. Daddy couldn't remember the words and fumbled at a hymnal with one hand and for his spectacles in his vest pocket with the other. He was mortified, leaned into Melody with a warm aftershave whisper. Honey, run out to the car and grab my specs, will ya? Melody was paroled. Her heartbeat skipped as though dropped from a rusty viaduct into the Black Warrior. She accepted the keys to the car and to her brief freedom. Daddy's glasses stared from the dash as she approached, ignoring the white milk truck she noticed parked too close to the passenger side door. Daddy better not see that. Who drove that thing to services anyway? Melody slipped into the driver's seat beneath a smirk of pretend power. Left hand on the wheel, the other slid the key into the switch with an agility that conjured cigarettes and James Dean. A cool half turn forward and the juice lit the radio. She worked her best nonchalance and no look turned the AM dial from WIXI's 1480 down to 960. WBRC played rock and roll, and she twisted right into a sneak preview of Elvis's latest, Little Sister. That scandalous invitation to sin under the guise of a cautionary tale. Daddy wouldn't miss her for two little minutes. The bliss of new music sealed her eyes for moments beyond the song's end, but they fluttered open at a motion outside the windshield. She was caught. Daddy! Melody started apologetically, but there was nobody there. A chill crawled from her fingertips up to her elbows, and her breath left her. Fear froze her face forward, even as her eyes rolled left. A pair of trousered legs over spit-shined Oxfords reflected in the side mirror. He outraced her to the door controls, tore it open, and shoved his rag-gloved right fingers into her screaming mouth, palm crushing her nostrils from above. Her head filled with the acrid sweet vapor of something like nail polish remover, and she stopped screaming, stopped resisting, stopped everything. Everybody dozed in church occasionally, but Melody awoke from her nightmare, fully fetal, on the pew, prayer hands tucked tight between her knees. No chance Mama let her get away with that. Where were her parents? The terror of knowing shut her eyelids right down. 
but her ears overcompensated to the point of panic. Soft sobs surrounded her, and a grown man repeatedly grunted to clear his throat, a hint of his voice in those guttural utterances. Him. Realization brought hot tears to her eyes. Brother Teddy. She focused her eyes into taut, draining slits and lifted herself to look over the next pew, almost rolling to the floor. Her arms were bound at the wrist and cord wrapped back around to her knees and with a fat knot, hogtied. Spectral daylight diffused through the stained glass and the wet of her eyes. Did he hold hostage the entire congregation through the night? No, the truth came with recognition of the haloed Gabriel watching indifferently from the glass above her. She was in the old church in Fall City, and today was the day of the flood. The clearing throat gave way to praying murmurs in that emphatic, whispered cadence reserved by Brother Teddy and others of his ilk for the end-of-service salvation of souls. As though God only acted on the request of those who implored him like a dog that kept knocking over the trash. There were resigned protestations from unseen others as the prayers advanced on Melody's place in the sanctuary. In that half-silence, another sound like rain came clear, a gentle water noise rising against the side of the building. Melody pulled uselessly at her knots and snorted in despair. Brother Teddy popped up from a pew ahead of her, his face wrapped in a leather mask fashioned from a zippered Bible cover, the big kind purchased from door-to-door -door salesmen and gilded with the family name. The cowl was cut so that its golden cross angled diagonally down from left to right, weaponized into an arrow aimed at her soul. His blue left iris was barely visible through one hole carved from the thing. It took her in, dilated and contracted madly, the hungry mouth of a monster. He stepped onto the seat to tower over her and leaned in with cup-beaten hands. Bless you, Melody. That whisper again, emphasis on all the wrong syllables. For you have sinned. The lust of youth. For men and for music by men and not of our Lord. It's not your fault, girl. Brother Teddy, please, she pled. An uninterrupted forefinger rose to shush her. Fret not, for today we wash it all away in waves of salvation, baptized and cleansed of sin for all time by the living water of Jesus. The water lapped at the stained glass, and Brother Teddy noticed. Come now, join us, he said. He easily lifted her with one arm and carried her into the front pew where five others lay at intervals. He dropped her facing the altar where three more dangled upside down, each tied to inverted crosses left over from the Easter pageant, their heads barely off the floor. Frantic eye contact among them all conjured no speech. Everyone was afraid to draw attention. This web of quiet betrayed the pounding at the windows and they throbbed under the pressure. Brother Teddy knelt before the crucified, brushing each forehead in time with the head-thrusting rises in the volume of his muttered prayers. Melody recognized all three. Dick Phillips got a car before anyone else in their class. He didn't even have a license yet. 
Landon McCord was a bullied poor boy from a dirt road community, always just as scared as he was right then. Shelly Baxter, she called everybody with nicer clothes than her a whore, so she said it a lot. But none of them deserved the common bond they were about to share. Rivulets of water snuck under the doors beneath the pews and into sight. Brother Teddy tested the spongy carpet with one skeptical finger. The zipper-edge mask seemed to grin. By the time he stood and stepped back, the Oxfords positively splashed into the edge of the flood. His arms went skyward, and he danced the dance of a two-year-old in a mud puddle, knees high and fast kicking up high, joyous arcs. The water cleared his ankles, and he cupped two handfuls, sloshing it onto Dick's face. In the name of the Father, Brother Teddy cried, and his son. Another aimed splash, this one aimed at the craning, hyperventilating head of Landon McCord. Then a wet, almost playful slap at the rushing waters toward a flinching Shelley. And the Holy Spirit... I consecrate this rising tide. May it lift us from this earthly plane and filter us from the wrongs we have perpetrated against the word of God Almighty. The first window burst beneath the now holy water's onslaught, and Brother Teddy jerked in startled reflex before gathering himself once more in the face of the torrent. He laughed nervously, embarrassed at his reaction. Melody wept silently, hopeless yet transfixed in her knots. The crucified gurgled as the depths overtook their noses and mouths. They thrashed for maybe a minute before Landon fell limp. Brother Teddy approached him, grasped high on his cross, and spun him upright on a pin between the cross and its stand. Landon's neck lolled lifelessly in that rotation, and water spilled from ears, nose, and mouth. Brother Teddy baptized himself in these last streams of Landon's life, a labile tongue lapping thirstily at the drops under the mask's zipper track. He cackled, Draw water joyfully from the springs of salvation! And madly rubbed the wet into his mask face. He repeated the ritual with Dick, then Shelley when they drowned, quoting random baptismal scripture from the deepening knee-high waters. Melody's face dampened when the second window opened to the flood and the rise quickened. In seconds, her clothes were soaked. That soggy bottom feeling she remembered from skinny dipping with her panties and bra still on. At this final moment, she chuckled at her own lameness. Brother Teddy waded down the front pew, lifted the tide and screaming in turn above his head and slammed them headfirst into the drink. Death at his hands, blessing on his lips. But Melody hid no sins to cleanse and no harm to regret. She loved her family. She loved laughing. And she loved Elvis. And no lackey of an indifferent God would take from her such precious things that she could take with her to her reward. In smiling resignation, Melody pushed the air from her lungs, rolled into the roiling waters of Fall City, and drank deeply of their mercy. You've been listening to Ain't No Such Thing, The Flood, another tale of the Baptist, written by Kevin Laporte, narrated and produced by Amanda Rachels. To enjoy more of our weekly audio and video content, 
please subscribe to Ain't No Such Thing on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. If you can, please drop us a little review. It helps this series grow and is greatly appreciated too. Five stars would not hurt my feelings, y'all. Take care, and I'll be back with another one for you real soon. All characters, stories, and situations, copyright Inverse Press, 2019, all rights reserved.